and it's not that clear, try the 99.9 FM. If you're trying to listen on both and it's not that clear, then listen at the website, Dimitro.com. Right now, we're going to speak with Senator uh, Jonathan Acosta. He is a new freshman senator, I believe, representing Central Falls, and he's the one, uh, Providence Journal story, blazes and ties a white man uniform. Rhode Island Senate's proposed dress code is racially charged. He favors hoodies, cardigans, knits hats. He said the Senate new dress code is an act of oppression by whites to try to make everyone look and dress like them. Are blazers and ties a white man uniform? Well, let's get him. uh, He's agreed to to do an interview with us. So let's get him on the phone uh, right now. And uh, this should be State Senator Jonathan Acosta. This is the first time that I have, will have been speaking with him. We're going to try to reach him. I was texting with him earlier. Oh, oh that's not good. Um, all right, let me, are we ready? Now, he said earlier that he would join us. I said 120, and uh, we're going to try him. Uh, going to try him again, folks. Remember, head over to Ron's uh, Pastry Gourmet, and then also remember, if you're in an accident, West Fountain Auto Body, two seven two. Oh, there he is, folks. Joining us right now, he is. Uh, my understanding, he is a freshman senator representing Central Falls. It is Senator Senator Jonathan Acosta, uh, Senator. It's John DePietro. Thank you for joining us on this Friday. Thanks for having me, John. Thanks yes. Uh, I, uh, the reason I'm calling is uh, I wanted to give you a chance to, you know, sometimes story don't fully represent uh, someone's quotes or things that take out of context. But I'm talking about the story in the Providence Journal, blazes and ties a white man's uniform. Rhode Island Center says proposed dress code is racially charged. Now, I can already hear you chuckling. What, what can you tell us about this? Sure. You know, I'm laughing a little bit because... I think that highlighting just the racial dimension of it is, is a little unfair to, to the, the point of the argument, to the crux of the argument. I think that the issues are just as much about class as they are about ethnicity and race. And, you know, it's a little quick baby, so it's going to grab people's attention. All of a sudden, people are clutching onto their racial identity. Uh, but this is also a class issue. And I think fundamentally, in practice, what these types of norms do is work to exclude. And I'm trying to make sure that we have a conversation about making this space as inclusive as possible along racial lines for sure, but also along class lines. Let's touch on that. Um, But how how does it come in that somehow, uh, you know, the stuff all connotes white collar, white people. So I, I understand, I think what you're saying, but... You you go back to I, I I don't know I mean when they when they invented the tie I I think that was invented so on a windy day men could tie their hat down because it was always it wasn't blowing off their head but you know you go back to people used to have their Sunday's best uh, do you feel is is there are there occasions where you feel that some dress is is more appropriate than others? For instance, people that go to a church or a wedding. Oh, man, you know, I'm really glad you brought this up. I think one of the paradoxes to me about the invocation of sacred spaces, or religion in particular, is that, you know, most of the folks in this chamber and in our country are are, are some denomination of Christian. And so we have this religion 
that's founded on the legacy of a messiah who was known for spending his time around people who were social outcasts, the prostitutes, the poor, the homeless, people who were seen as violating the decorum of the temple and therefore often not allowed to step in. And then we create this institution that now becomes a symbol for exclusion, right? Because when people say, well, you need to dress nice or you need to dress um, fancy or you need to dress like you were going to church, what are those things veils for, right? I'm trying to pull that down and say, what are you actually talking about? And what folks are usually talking about is some form of Western dress that's most closely associated with white collar jobs. And that's just not where I come from. I don't value those same things. That's not to say that I don't respect other people's values. I said this in the committee meeting. If this is what you feel is important to you, then you come dress that way. I didn't grow up looking at the people that dressed that way. Those weren't the people that were around me. And I'm responsible for representing the people in my community. And I want them to know that you don't have to put on a costume of white collar, white Western associated status in order to participate in our body politics. Well, well, I don't understand, Senator, and again, folks, we're speaking with, um, he is a freshman senator, my understanding, Senator Jonathan Acosta from Central Falls. Um, now, Senator, I, I'm trying to, I, I'm not sure where you grew up, but, or, or when you went to high school, but, but let's talk about occasions when, you know, you see it's, it's customary the kids dress up in high school to go to the prom. Um, do you feel is that? A form of racial oppression or I mean to me I never thought of it that way I thought of it as sometimes dress intimates that it's a special occasion and it's not just a run-of-the-mill day and that's why you know on your on a wedding day the bride dresses up the groom people dress up or like kids at a prom Take me through that. I mean, do you feel, is there, is there any occasion that you think it, it is appropriate that people would dress up? So, so again, I think we're, we're conflating wanting to versus needing to, right? And so I, I think it's absolutely fine that people should want to dress up for particular occasions, should they please. What I'm trying to say is you shouldn't be excluded from participating in particular occasions or ceremonies or institutions if you don't. If, if that's not something that's important to you, right? Our job in the General Assembly is to legislate. My job is to be a voice for my community. I can do that in a suit or in a sweatsuit, right? My, my ability to do that is not compromised by what I am wearing, by how I look. And so I'm trying to force us to interrogate the things that we consider normal, right? The things that we pass off as universal. You'd be surprised by the way people framed their argument for why we needed to have this, right? One of the strands is, well, this is the way it's always been done. Well, there are a lot of things that we did for a long time that we now recognize as wrong, starting from the fact that that space was not inclusive of 50% of our population when we first started as a state, and that it didn't have representation from a lot of communities, including the ethno-racial one that I belong to, for a long time. Right? I am the first person of Latin American descent to represent Central Park and Pawtucket as a state senator, even though we've been here since 1965. Right? So 
those spaces were not made for us. And they're just now starting to grow to include us. And we can take away the things that were previously barriers to inclusion or symbols of a time that is now past, right? That is not what's important. It is not important the way that you are dressed for how you are able to legislate. And if you think it is, then I'll ask you why. I see. Okay. Now, what about, and again, folks, I I give them a lot of credit. You're you're saying, do they, by the way, do they give you a hard time? I would think, though, you had been on Zoom for a while, but do they, and you joined everyone else as far as wearing pajamas and sweatpants and not dress, but do they give you a hard time about the way that you you dress? Or I guess I'm just, the quote that they attribute to you is, go ahead. Right, right. No, I was going to say they haven't. And that's part of why. I didn't think this was going to be a big thing. You know, if you go back to two weeks ago when the committee met, I proposed this as one of the first rules reform, thinking it was relatively low-hanging fruit. I hadn't seen the rule enforced, and I I read the article uh, that that Kathy Gregg wrote. It seems like it's not a rule that's enforced very often, so I thought, hey, why not get rid of this? It seems archaic, it seems outdated. To me, it seems inappropriate to vest, you know, the power in one person to be making these very subjective, normative judgment calls over their colleagues. And so let's just get rid of this. And then it blew up into this much bigger thing where they kind of doubled down and said, well, not only are we going to demand that people dress appropriately, we're going to give examples, which are, you know, somewhat bizarre, um, and we're going to make it so that even guests have to be addressed this way if they want to come to the Senate floor. So I, I was frankly surprised by that. Huh. Now, I had not heard that part of it. Um, so what? what is your understanding? What is the, the dress code in, in going forward? Just so we're all clear, because a lot of people, you know, I mean, most people don't go up. Um, a lot of times, you know, if, you know, I think it, there's different ways to look at this. You know, you put on the news. They could be there in a casual shirt and jeans, but by the you know, they're in a suit and for the most part in a tie. A lot of times that's relaxed now, where you just see maybe a gentleman in a blazer. So a lot of times they've gotten rid of it. But what what do they now, Senator Ruggiero, what is the expected dress code for the state senate? Sure. I believe the examples they use were such as blouses, slats, collared shirts, and blazers. Okay. So, that's, so that's what they are. Now you're also a teacher, and what is the... I was. The, I was I, oh, you were? Yeah, okay. I'm currently a, a, yeah, I'm, I'm a doctoral student at Brown now, but okay. yeah, I was a former educator. Okay, and I, I think something that jumped out at me was you mentioned that you, you would... What, how would you... How would this come up, or how was it discussed? I'm not saying it was an everyday thing, but basically, Senator, how would you, you know, extract your, instruct your students as far as how they should dress? Sure. You know, I I realized as I was teaching that I was becoming part of this system that makes normative views and perspectives seem universal. And so, you know, I had a principal who was very um, obsessed with, quote, professional dress. And it it denoted a lot of the things we've already mentioned, right? Ties, blazers, collared shirts and such. But I realized that teaching in a community, and my, my first teaching experience was back home in Miami where I had grown up, um, all my students were black or Latino, and 99.9% of them were off for your reduced lunch, which is a, a, a proxy measure for poverty. And the, the sign that, that I was sending was, if you want to be successful, then you need to dress this way. And this way usually was uh, a veiled 
way of saying you need to dress like a white collar, upper class white person if you want to be successful in America. And that that's just not true. Um, you know, and, and we're 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 not judged the same way other folks are. So you could have somebody like Steve Jobs or like Mark Zuckerberg, right. very casual wear, still getting a lot of deference and reverence from the public. But if you're a person of color and you come from a low-income background, you somehow need to put on this costume in order to get that same level of respect. And I, I just found that very frustrating. You know, growing up, it was all about you have to make sure that if you're in this environment that you look right. And all that language, I think, is problematic, and I think it's important for us to start to deconstruct what that is really trying to symbolize. The other part of this is I'm unusually socially mobile for someone who comes from my class ethnic origins. And so what I realized as I spent more and more time around truly affluent people is that it doesn't matter how good your costume is. If you weren't socialized that way, the people who work, they know, man. Right? Like, they can tell by the way you tie your tie, by the way that you use your pocket square, by what fork you grab. And so there's a French social theorist by the name of Pierre Bourdieu who did tons of work on this, right? The, the, the upper class, the affluent classes, use this as a form of distinction to separate themselves from others, right? And so it doesn't matter how close I get, I will never be that because I didn't come from that and wasn't socialized that way. And so they'll be able to spot a fake, so to speak. And I realized at that point, you know, there's no point in being on that treadmill. But what we should do is invest our time, our effort in the things that are truly valuable, right? So that means being having the skills, the human capital to perform, that's way more important than the, the costume that I put on in order to do a job. Now, Senator, and again, folks, we're speaking with Senator Jonathan Acosta, and I'm sure you're familiar with the book, you know, Psycho Cybernetics. I attended, now you're from out of town, but I, I attended Bishop Hendrickson High School. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a all-boy yep. Catholic Great school. Program. I'm, I'm a wrestling coach, and they're, they're legendary. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't realize that. So I remember... Um, when I attended there, as my two brothers did, you know, the dress code was you'd most of the time you wouldn't you'd had to keep a blazer in your locker. But each day you'd be in a dress shirt. You'd have a tie. Uh, they didn't allow long hair. They would make the seniors and so forth. For, I think for the most part, shave and so forth. But I remember one of the brothers, they used to say the reason they did this is that at that age, 14, 15, 16, 17, primarily, that they felt that if a young guy looks in the mirror and he's got on a you know a black concert t-shirt and he's got his hair in his face and he's like kind of they they felt if you look in the mirror and you look like a slob you kind of behave like a slob their feeling was if you put somebody in a dress shirt and they have a tie and they have a blazer they felt it was it was like a the way I understood and interpreted it, it was it was basically mental that it was in your mind then that they felt people kind of behaved better. So what what's your reaction to what's your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's an indoctrination, right? You're being socialized to believe that you behave better, you're more successful if you dress or look a particular way, right? What I'm trying to say is, I don't dress that way. And I'm still doing all right, right? Like, I got to see the other side of this. You don't need those things. Those things are fake. And, and kids growing up in my community, I want my son to know that 
His father has long hair, long curly hair. He has gold teeth. He's covered in tattoos. And he also has three coming on four Ivy League degrees. <laughs> right? Because those two things are not mutually exclusive. Yep. And in, in our minds, the way that we were trained to see the world and to see other people was to exactly how you said. If they look a particular way, then they must be that. Right? So because I look like a thug, I must be a street thug. Not a too hard working urban gentleman. Right? I must be a gangster. And that's not true. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's, that's just patently untrue. And so, you know, I think it, it's important to have this conversation and folks will finally start unpacking why we put so much value in something as superficial as what we wear. Do you think that, um, Senator, that sometimes, you know, there are certain places that if you don't dress the way you're describing it, it, it is seen as like a form of, of disrespect, you know, for instance, what if I'm going to go cover a court trial, most, you know, they, they don't they don't allow you for the most part that when I've been there, the, the judge just as a, a reporter, member of the media, the member of the press, they they won't really even let you wear jeans, certainly can't wear sneakers. Um, and when, you know, I've been there, you see the defendant come in, whoever it is, and no matter whatever they look like when he was arrested, they bring him in. He's got a haircut. He's got a suit. You're not wrong, and you know, right? I mean, we've all seen. It doesn't matter race, but both sides. Where then suddenly the person is shaven, they have their hair cut, they're sitting there in a suit, maybe look more appropriate, or just you know look a certain way to the jury. Do you do you, do you at least say, except that there is certain forums where the, a certain dress, uh, for lack, if you don't dress a certain way, it's it's almost a sign of disrespect. I would ask why. You know, why is it viewed as a sign of disrespect? And, you know, the, the examples that you provide underscore what I'm trying to get at. Right? You're not allowed into court. In practice, this is not about anything substantive other than exclusion. Right? Mm. You are excluded. For those folks who are defendants in cases often, it's about trying to put a costume on that might shield them from adverse judgment against them. Right? <laughs> this is really what it is. It's trying to say, hey, how can I look as not guilty as possible? And looking <laughs> not guilty yep. is putting on, you know, this, this costume. Now, are, are there ever, for instance, uh, how, how have your remarks been received, by the way, by, by the state Senate? Because from what I understand, I think Senate President Ruggiero, it was, it's my understanding of reading the article, he, he basically felt these are the rules and they're going to be enforced and that's the end of it. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, that's what it seemed like to me. I mean, that was, I, I haven't had a conversation outside of that meeting with him about this issue. And he, he said, you know, I, I frankly asked straight up whether he would feel comfortable policing the entire uh, lower income folks or uh, his female colleagues, our female colleagues. And he said if the Senate passed these rules, then he would surely enforce them and I could bet the farm on it. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to make my, my appeal to, to the larger body um, because I think fundamentally this is an issue that should be easy, right? Like, I, I think that the, the, there's a disconnect between those of us who have the privilege of governing and the rest of the the state of Rhode Island and, and, and the, the, our constituents, and we come from very different life worlds. You know, when I had the committee meeting, I sounded off the communities that some of my colleagues represent, 
And it's very obvious to me that they don't spend a lot of time around people who are not like them. Some of this is structural, right? We live in a hyper-segregated society, not just across race and ethnicity, but also across class, right? Like most of your neighbors have your similar class status. And so your view of the world is constantly reaffirmed. Like that's exacerbated by the social behavior of homophily where you're attracted to people whose opinions and beliefs are similar to yours. And so we're constantly being told that the way you see the world is probably the right way. And I'm, I think, one of the first few people that's kind of challenged them. I said, well, maybe it's not. And even if that's your way of seeing the world, it doesn't mean that I have to see it that way, too. It doesn't mean that I have to be dressed that way in order for you to continue honoring whatever your version of the and so I'd be interested in seeing, you know, how the outcome of the vote plays out next week. My guess is that, unfortunately, most folks will vote down by amendments. But I think it will speak volumes to the way that power operates in this chamber, if that's the case. Senator, and again, folks, we're speaking with Senator Jonathan Acosta. I'm only going to keep him a few more minutes. I certainly appreciate his time on this Friday on short notice. Senator, where are you, though, on uniforms? Now, again, I'll speak from my own experience. I went to Catholic school. I went to Catholic school. Uh, we, we wore a uniform, right? The boys would wear, uh, you know, a brown, uh, excuse me, black or blue pants, basically. And then everyone wore a, a blue shirt and then a plaid tie. The girls dressed similar. I always, and when charter schools, you know, have today, it's more of like a polo shirt and khaki pants. See, to me, I, I would think that that's, and I've talked to teachers say it's a positive because then the children are basically judged. Everybody's the same. Everybody's dressed the same. One person doesn't have more expensive jeans or sneakers or shirts or clothes than the other. Everybody's the same. So now let's focus on, you know, this person who is humorous and this person is smart or the, the personality comes out because the whole fashion wardrobe is put off to the side. Where are you on? Do you see a benefit, I should say, to uniforms, school uniforms? Yeah, you know, this is an interesting question. I, I think the issue around uniforms, to me, is either we're all in or it's a free-for-all. And what I mean by that is, especially in school environments, I think you're right that they do promote a sense of equality um, that that is valuable, right? We're, we're all kind of in the same place. And often when you have schools with very different levels of income, some kids come from more affluent backgrounds, others from low-income backgrounds, it can help you make it a more, make it feel like a more even playing field. So, you know, I would be down for a uniform situation. If you told me, hey, look, we're going to have Senate-issued polos that everybody has to wear, Senate-issued pants, I'd be like, okay, you know, at least that applies equally to right. everybody. Um, but on, on, on the flip side, then you can't say, well, what we want is our version of fancy, nice, professional. Because then we're going down this rabbit hole that is just veiling whatever your normative views of the world are. Now, the other thing with uniforms is they're, they're often meant to underscore some element of safety, right? So my mom is a nurse. She's been a nurse since I was about 10, 11 years old. They wear scrubs. They wear scrubs because on the job you may get some bodily fluids on you. That makes sense, yep. right? If you have somebody that works in engineering or construction, they're going to tell you you have to wear steel-toed shoes because you want to make sure that your feet don't get hurt. When we first had this discussion, I said, give me one compelling safety reason for why we should have 
some kind of dress code. And they couldn't. And so I said, well, if it's not that, then it has something to do with values that I think are debatable and that we should be bringing out in the open. <laughs> I, you know, I, I actually don't. It, it, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable either way. Do you, do you ever... Do you ever feel uh, underdressed? Do you ever feel like that you're so casual that you, for whatever reason, something happens, you meet someone or anything, you're going to take a photo and you say, boy, if I'd known we were going to do this, I would have maybe dressed up a little bit. Do you, do you ever feel that? Are you just always comfortable in not, whatever clothes not you pick anymore. out? Not anymore. Not anymore. I did, I did in my early 20s, you know, but um, when, I got, when I got my second master's degree, I made sure to, to walk across with a customized um, Miami jersey that had the area code and my name on the back. Right? Because that's what I feel I represent. These are the communities that I come from. These are the people that I want to be symbols for. And I want to make sure that they realize that the, the superficial stuff, that's not the stuff that matters. The, the costume, that's not the stuff that matters. It's just the stuff underneath. You know, putting a suit on a man doesn't make it a good man. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, I think that I've gotten to the age now well, I'm, I'm very comfortable in my skin. I'm very comfortable in where I've come from and, and where I'm at now. And so I, I don't feel underdressed anymore. What, 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 <laughs> I did in the past, though. I'll give you that. Okay. What, what can you tell us about your partner? And, um, you know, I'll give you this. You put your phone number and email right out there. Hey, whoever wants to reach me, here's how. I mean, most of your peers don't do that. But um, your son has an interesting name uh, just of, of length. Um, I'm just curious. Is he named after someone, Leon? Uh, so the the E is the Ernesto is for Ernesto Che Guevara. Um, Leon is just we, we happen to really like um, lions and and the okay. CF kind of old mythical creature with lions. And I wanted my son to have a name that uh, was a strong name that he could pronounce in English or in Spanish well. Okay. Um, and so his name is Leon Ernesto Acosta Chapel. Yeah. Now you're from Miami, and then you attended Brown. I see you got your master's degree, and you're working to right now earn a PhD in sociology at Brown. And you, I'll give it, you, you're not only talking the talk, you're walking the walk. So you live and now represent, you live in Central Falls and represent Central Falls? Mm-hmm, correct. Okay. Um, have yeah. you received, have, yeah, I don't, uh, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, on, on the biographical tip, and this was related to some of my comments I made on Monday, I've, I've always lived in in Latino enclaves. So I, I was born in, in Queens, New York. I lived in Jackson Heights as, a, as an infant. Yep. We moved to Rhode Island where my mother was raising my uncle and I. Um, my uncle's a CF high grad and is now a, a biology teacher at, at Central Falls High School. And so I always had the, the roots to come back to. My mother and I moved to South Florida. That's where I had my formative uh, public school education. And then I came back to college and have been back since 2013. How is it um, so far uh, for you? Now, granted, it's been different because of the pandemic, but how are you liking so far your first official session as a state senator? Oh, it's, it's been great. You know, I, I think that I, I've been very impressed by the engagement from the public despite the, the conditions that we face because of the pandemic. Um, I, I was lucky to have a lot of colleagues on the Central Falls City Council um, who are still here in the city and so I have a great relationship with them but also with folks over on the Pawtucket side and, and trying to advocate for both communities at the state house and, and people are really nice you know I, I've been surprised by how much people value the interpersonal dynamics of government at the general assembly which is part of why some of this 
uh, attire debate caught me off guard given that people hadn't really expressed any problem with, with the way I was dressed in the past and I was simply trying to codify um, the behavior that I was exhibiting. Um, but, but, but folks are great and it seems like a great time to be in office. I think that the leadership has signaled at least that, that they're listening to constituents and to a slightly more progressive agenda than they might have been focusing on in the past. And so that, that has me hopeful and optimistic. And, you know, I'm also part of the Black and Latinx caucus that is the biggest and strongest it's ever been. We have 21 members in the General Assembly now, which is historic. Um, so so it, it's an exciting time to, to be in office for sure. How long have you been the wrestling one of the wrestling coaches at Hendricken? Or are you the are you the, the head no, wrestling no, I'm coach? Not, I'm not no, I'm not the wrestling coach at Hendricken. I have two former uh, students who, who are there now. One oh. who was a state champion with me at Blackstone Valley Prep. So I, I coach wrestling for students who attend Blackstone Valley Prep and students who attend Calcut Middle School, which is the traditional public school here in CF and a lot of my students go on to, to wrestle at CF High School or Blackstone Valley Prep High School. Um, but I have a couple who, um, actually the, the, the Fine brothers, Spencer and Nick Fine, both state champions. Um, I did not get the pleasure of, of coaching Nick, but I had the pleasure of coaching Spencer. And they're doing great things at uh, Bishop Hendrick and now. Now, Senator, do you wrestle in high school? I did, but I suck, man. I was <laughs> not good. I got to tell you. I was come on. Much better coach than I was. Oh, before. come on. What? 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 I too late. Um, what weight limit? I started what late. weight? I, I was uh, started 135. Okay. And 140 my, mm. my junior senior year. But we, we've been working on trying to really create a pipeline. You know, it's the kind of sport where the younger you start, the more familiar familiarity you have with it. And so I, I've partnered with a great organization here in CF uh, called PCWC Providence County Wrestling Club, founded by Eugene Montero and Tom Ostley, former Central High School wrestlers from Providence. Um, and, and we've been, we have kids as young as four years old on the mat. And then we've got two women wrestling in college right now in Pennsylvania. So it, it's really about starting them as young as possible and creating as many opportunities completely free of cost to them um, to, to, to get on the mat and, and to do well in school. Folks, he is uh, State Senator Jonathan Acosta. Senator, I, uh, I want to thank you for your time. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, anxious to see where this comes out. And, uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. And I hope at some point, you know, I, I really like having, you know, interviewing people in person, but that's just kind of the world we're living in right now. Uh, one last question. Have you received the vaccine? Uh, I did, yes. Okay. Uh, so Central Falls is one of the high-density communities. Yes. And uh, I've really tried to make it a point to folks that we need to be advocates for getting the vaccine. So it's yep. not just about getting it, but it's spreading the message. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there right now. And so we got the vaccine about a month after it became available in Central Falls. You know, I wanted to make sure that um, the folks who were really rushing to get it were able to get it first. Uh, my partner and I both got it. Uh, my partner's pregnant. And uh, so we did our research and she consulted with her doctor. We felt comfortable doing that. So we've gotten the vaccine. And now I'm really on a mission to, to spread the message as much as possible. As soon as it becomes available to you or your age group or your community, please get signed up and do it. Central Falls is 18 plus to get the vaccine. What what are you? What is the biggest hesitation for people or is there one? Uh, to get the vaccine that you're hearing just from your constituents when you're talking to someone and trying to convince them what i i'm just curious because listen i'm i'm pro i i it hasn't hit my age i can't wait till i can get it i will get it i believe in it uh i try to encourage other people to get it what 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 is what are you hearing uh from some people their hesitation 
Yeah, I think it's misinformation. People worried that they might have adverse reactions, that the vaccine is ineffective. I think now there's almost, uh, for lack of, of a better terms, there's almost like a way of seeing the Johnson Johnson vaccine as like a ghetto vaccine. And people are saying, well, this one is somehow less effective than the other one. So maybe we shouldn't get that one if that's the one that's offered to us. And, you know, the, the, the medical advice is clear. Get the vaccine that you can as soon as it's available to you. Like, this is how we're going to get through this. Um, much quicker. And so I, I think it's important that people get the information from people they trust, too. So it's very hard to get into it to tap into some of the more informal networks, but they're key, right? Like, it, it's a person that you follow on Facebook that's your cousin's, you know, partner or that's your friend's friend. And, and once you see them and they're like, hey, look, it's good, it's safe, I was fine, or, you know, maybe I got the second shot and it was a little bit rough, but I'm, I'm fine now. Um, I think that does, that goes really far in in assuaging people's concerns and in, in building their comfort and saying, okay, I can do this, I'll be all right. Um, but very important. Senator, I'll just, I want to leave you with this. Um, so when I was, uh, you know, in college, I worked at a rock club in Providence, actually for a couple of years in college and then a little bit after. And um, recently I ran into a guy that I recognized him. He was, he was a huge Coke guy, always had Coke on him, used to deal with the bands, drank like a maniac. And to this day, as far as I know, he's still, because I we have a mutual friend that I see more often said, oh yeah, the guy like smokes pot every day. So I actually run into him. And somehow he, he mentions the vaccine. And when I asked him, he said, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not putting that in my body. <laughs> I thought, not putting that in your body. I knew you at a time you'd put anything into your body. What, what, if they, what if they cut up the vaccine and you could snort it? Not putting it in your body? I've never heard of that. But that foolishness needs to go away. We need to get back to normal. Uh, Senator Acosta, good to talk to you. Enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, John. I appreciate you taking All right, folks, there he is. I give him a lot of credit coming on the air. He is State Senator Gene, uh, Gene, Jonathan Acosta. He is, uh, folks, there's 